If you are just checking us out, or if you're still relatively new to our community, I want you to know we are sincerely glad you're here. As a community, we're picking back up our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is sermon number 16 in it, and there are 15 to go, so you're about halfway with us. And if you haven't heard any of the sermons, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to a couple of them to get a sense of how we're uh, tackling this most famous teachings of Jesus. And and even if you're not that familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you have likely heard some of its sayings. If you've ever heard someone say, turn the other cheek, or go the extra mile, you've brushed up against the Sermon on the Mount and the passage we'll be looking at this morning. But the way that we use these phrases in everyday language isn't exactly the way that Jesus uses them when he says, turn the other cheek or go the extra mile. Rather, when Jesus issues these sort of invitations, they are a radical invitation to the way of the cross, to a way of losing our lives to find our lives, to turning away from ourselves and toward his kingdom, towards a different way of living altogether that can actually bring about the deepest yearnings of our hearts. And so let's get straight to it. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't own a Bible, Please take one of our Gray Church Bibles home with you. Everything will also be on the screen behind me. And we're going to break this passage down into four parts this morning. We're going to look at the way of the law, the way of the kingdom, the way of the self, and the way of the cross. So law, kingdom, self, cross. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. So let's begin with our first point, the way of the law. We're in a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is pressing deeply into the Mosaic law. But the way that Jesus tackles the law is altogether different than the religious experts of his day. He takes the law and he presses it into our hearts. Because God is more concerned about our innermost being, what happens inside of us, than how we act, than us just putting on a show. And so Jesus has already done this with a few different topics like anger and murder and adultery and taking oaths. And he's pressed these topics into our hearts and said, what does it mean for you to live out of your heart and apply this law to your heart? And now he does the same thing once again, but with retaliation and revenge. And in in more specificity, he's saying, when you've been wronged, how do you apply this law of eye for an eye to your heart? He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this law is found in in Exodus. It's found once again in Leviticus. It's found even again in Deuteronomy. And this was an essential part of God's law in the Old Testament. It was an essential part of the rules and regulations for the judges of Israel. But we read this today and we feel a little apprehensive. Now, nobody really knows who said this. Everybody says Gandhi said it. He didn't say it, but since everyone says he did, Gandhi says, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Who's heard that before? An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. At first glance, this ancient law feels barbaric, but it's not. The modern saying is now the punishment must fit the crime. How many of you believe that? The punishment must fit the crime. Wow, we have a room full of Christian anarchists. This is great. (laughs) 
That's the basis, though, behind eye for an eye. Now, it might be some relief to know that Israel did not apply this law literally. Very quickly, they developed a system for finding a financial equivalent. So if you knocked out somebody's eye and you were taken to court, the judge would issue a financial fine. Or, for example, if you open-hand slap someone, that would be 200 zoos. But if you backhand them, 400 zoos. But the main intent of this ancient saying was to control retaliation. It's actually a merciful law. It's designed to control the anger and violence we can feel when we want revenge. Because sometimes when some wrong is done to us, the natural instinct is to hit back. If someone slaps you, you might hit them back. And you might even hit them back with twice the force. Because sometimes when someone wrongs us, we don't just want justice. We don't just want our due. We want to leave them worse off. We don't want justice. We want revenge. And we might not always act on that, but that rises up in us, doesn't it? Does anyone else feel that? And that's precisely what Jesus wants to address in us. This desire to get our due and then some. This desire not just for justice, but for revenge and retaliation. So Jesus takes this law, eye for an eye, and he applies it to the heart because he knows there is something amiss in our souls. And so, yeah, we hear this Gandhi Quote, and we nod along again, eye for an eye, leaves the whole world blind. And yet in a broken and fallen world, we need this merciful law. And at the same time, we feel like there has to be a better way. There's something about that quote that pulls us toward a better way. And that's when Jesus says, but I tell you, do not resist the one who is evil. That is the better way. So let's move on to our second point, the way of the kingdom. Do not resist the one who is evil. I don't know about you, but that doesn't immediately sound like a better way to me. And to help us see what he means, Jesus gives us four illustrations. The slap, the cloak, the mile, and the money. Jesus says, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you, and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, it's worth remembering that all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses hyperbole. And that hasn't stopped in this passage. Earlier in this chapter, for example, Jesus said, it's better for you to cut off your hand than sin. And from what I can tell, everyone here has two hands and yet are sinners. And so we have to find ways to take these passages seriously, but not diminish them by taking them far too literally. But when we get to this passage in particular, it's surprising how dogmatic and cruel and unimaginative people can be in applying it literally. A few years ago, in 2003, so I guess more than a few years ago, a movie came out called 21 Grams. And there was a scene in that movie that has been seared into my mind that I haven't been able to forget. Benicio Del Toro is one of the key characters, and he plays 
an ex-con who becomes a Christian in jail and yet remains a very, very angry man. And so the scene opens, and it's his family dinner room. He's been released from jail, and he's eating dinner with his wife and his young son and young daughter. And they, everything's going well until they start fighting over a roll. Who's going to eat the roll? And the son grabs it from the daughter and then punches her in the arm. And the daughter's about to punch the son back, and Benicio del Toro's character stops her. And he says, no, you have to learn to turn the other cheek. Put out your other arm. And the daughter, scared, puts out her arm, and the son, he says to the son, now, strike her other arm. And the son won't do it. He's petrified. And so del Toro's character starts yelling at the son, strike her other arm arm. And so the son finally does it, and the daughter and the son and the mother break down in tears and leave the room. It's this ugly, ugly scene. And it expresses and captures the danger of falling into a dogmatic and unimaginative and cruel literal interpretation and application of this passage. If we're going to take these kinds of passages Seriously, we have to do a lot more than take them literally. But staying with this first example, the slap, the slap. It's amazing to me how often people say, yeah, but what if someone breaks into your house? Are you supposed to do nothing? Now let's be honest for a moment. Most of us are never going to be in that scenario ever. Actually, most of us are never going to be backhanded unless you ask me that question or sued for our clothing or forced to go an extra mile with a soldier. But this hypothetical home invasion scenario totally misses the point. The passage is not about when or when not self-defense is appropriate. Jesus is illustrating how we do not resist evil in very specific examples. He's not giving us an exhaustive playbook of how this might play out in every scenario we can fathom. We'll actually have to look to other scriptures and see there's lots of different ways we can apply scripture to things we face. But in this, Jesus is also not saying that you have to become a doormat. Now, do not resist evil. It doesn't mean lose your voice or become disempowered. It doesn't mean you never stand up against evil or take action against evil. There's scriptures that call us to do that. But when a wrong has already happened to you, when you've already been slapped or sued or forced into involuntary service, Jesus says, you can choose not to retaliate. You don't have to give in to that impulse that rises up in you. And he's calling us in this to an empowered choice. There will be times you can choose not to resist evil. So let's look at these four illustrations he gives us. First, the slap. In this scenario, it's actually a backhanded slap. And this is a totally disrespectful and shameful act. There's Jewish writings that say a Backhanded slap is doubly worse than an open-handed slap. And if you're not sure, let's come up and illustrate it for everybody. (laughs) But the point is this. If someone backhands you, you have been seriously injured and insulted and shamed publicly. And Jesus says there will be times 
you can choose to withstand the insult. Second, the cloak. In this scenario, you're poor, and someone is literally suing you for the shirt off your back. But in Jew Jewish law, they don't have a right to your cloak. Yet, even though they have no legal right to your cloak, Jesus says, offer it up anyway. Essentially, he says, there will be times you can choose to release your rights. Third, the mile. During the time of Jesus, Israel was under Roman occupation. Roman soldiers would have been seen as foreign oppressors, as the enemy. And these soldiers at any moment in your day could conscript you to carry their baggage for a mile. And Jesus says, take it for two. Essentially, he's saying there will be times you can choose to bear the burden willingly and go beyond what is required of you. Finally, the money. When someone begs from you or asks a loan from you, Jesus says essentially, whenever someone asks for any money from you, give it to them. And right away we say, whoa, 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 we need a little more information here, a little more qualifications about whether this is a good stewardship of my resources. And that's precisely the impulse Jesus wants to get after. He's saying, there will be times you can choose to give unreasonably out of the resources that you do have. And the whole point of it is this. In the way of the kingdom, it's not always about you. It's not always about your name and reputation or your rights or doing the bare minimum or keeping what is yours for yourself. An evil person might insult you or sue you or make oppressive demands of you or abuse your generosity and you can choose not to resist evil and not to get your due. Instead, you can choose to withstand the insult, to release your rights, to go beyond what's required, and to give out of what you do have. I don't know about you, but this doesn't seem like a better alternative than eye for an eye, if I'm just being honest. But it is the way of the kingdom. And that inner resistance we can feel to the way of the kingdom is what Jesus wants to address in us. So our third point, the way of the self. In each of these examples, Jesus brilliantly uncovers the way we think about ourselves. If someone were to insult you publicly or to shame you or unjustly sue you or to make unreasonable demands or to leave you impoverished, it triggers something within you. How dare you do that to me? I deserve better. I deserve more. I will get you back. And it's this impulse that's focused on the self, that's focused on retaliation, that makes it very hard for us to embrace the way of the kingdom that Jesus has just described. Because we want to embrace the way of the self. I want to establish my name. I want to uphold my rights. I want to do only the bare minimum. I want to use what I have for my own desires. This is all the outlook of the self. And so it's only possible to embrace the way of the kingdom if we decenter ourselves, if we dethrone ourselves. Billy Bray was a famous English evangelist, and before his conversion, he was a fighter. He got into bar fights and street fighter uh, before street fighter came out. And uh, he was a thief, and he was a drunk, and he was a worthless husband. His wife often had to pick him up at the pub, and he worked in the mines, which was very 
hard work in the 1800s. But once Billy encountered Jesus, his life changed dramatically. And down in the mines, there was a man who used to live in constant dread and terror of Billy Bray. And he heard that Bray had changed, and he decided he had finally found his opportunity. Without any provocation, he punched Bray in the face, hoping to start a fight and to show everyone that Billy Bray hasn't really changed at all. But instead, Bray looked at him and said, God forgive you as I have forgiven you. And he said no more. And this interaction tormented the man for days. And over time, he ended up going to his local parish and became a Christian. Because he knew what Billy Bray could do. He knew that by his nature, Billy Bray wanted to do it, and yet Bray didn't do it. You see, Bray's refusal to act, react to evil changed another person's life because the person saw the way of the kingdom as way better than the way of the self. So sometimes it's appropriate to choose to withstand the insult like Billy Bray did. And these moments where people do not resist evil, they're powerful. They're inspiring. But we don't always get it right. And we don't always act like Billy Bray did in that moment. Working through the sermon, I was thinking about something I experienced a few years ago. A well-known Canadian figure referenced an article my wife Julia wrote uh, on his blog. But to our dismay, he didn't just name Julia by name, but he also sexualized her writing and lambasted her desire for a home in this ridiculous housing bubble. Now, as a husband, I was furious. And so I felt the need to honor Julia. And so I did what people do now. I took to Facebook and I wrote this. This response to Julia's recent post at St. Peter's Fireside is misogynistic and absurd. Regardless of how you feel about faith or Julia's post for that matter, women should not be treated, women should be treated. (laughs) Freud would have fun with me right now. (laughs) Women should be treated with respect and not reduced down to sexual objects. The author used his large platform to needlessly slander a woman and hyperbolized her as a lustful simpleton. It is never okay to treat women this way. Now, everything I said was right, and I still stand behind the concepts of what I said. And I won points with family and friends and feminists, which is big points, uh, but also with Julia. But with five years distance, I look back on this and I think I actually missed it. I think I missed it. I think this was an opportunity for me to withstand the slap alongside my wife. See, I have to admit that in posting to social media, I was actually driven by retaliation and revenge. I wanted to see this person knock down a pig. I wanted to expose their shameful actions. But I I wanted more than an eye for an eye. And there it is. That impulse that Jesus has identified in this passage alive and well in me. And because of my post, an online battle ensued. More and more people posted comments on his blogs. Hundreds and hundreds of comments back and forth to no avail. And the only result was that his article got more and more attention. Do you want to know what resolved it? Without fanfare, 
Without drawing attention to herself, Julia emailed the author directly. She asked that he had removed her name and removed the sexualizing comments. Julia, at this point, had already withstood the slap. She's already been made fun of publicly. That's already been done. She didn't try to retaliate. She didn't try to cut him down. She made a simple request and left it at that. And as a result, the article changed later that day without all the fanfare I created. So I've chosen this ambiguous example because that's how real life plays out. When we find ourselves in situations where we've been insulted or where we feel our rights are being stomped upon or where we feel unreasonable demands are being made of us, it can be difficult to discern what the right response is. It's hard in the moment. Hindsight, it's easier. Sometimes like Bray or Julia, we get it right. And sometimes like me, we miss an opportunity to be a witness to the way of the kingdom. And sometimes it's because we give in to that impulse at work in us. We want to retaliate. We want to have some sense of revenge. We want to get our due and then some. But sometimes it's because the scenarios we find ourselves in aren't always so cut and dry. And when we fall short, there's always forgiveness. There's always grace. There's always an opportunity to learn and try again. But right now, I know you just want me to give you a formula. You just want me to take these passages and say, this is how you apply them to your everyday lives. But these four examples from Jesus are not formulas for us to just apply without any work on our part. And ultimately, these examples are all examples of the way of the cross. So let's move on to our last point, the way of the cross. Long ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote this in chapter 50 of his book. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. It sounds a lot like the illustrations Jesus has just offered us. Isaiah got to peer forward into time and he saw the way of the cross. He saw the path that the Messiah must walk. And so when Jesus holds these examples before us, he's actually calling us not to the examples, but to himself and the path that he journeyed for us. See, on the way to the cross, he did not resist evil. He was slapped, he was beaten, he was spat upon, he was derided, he was ridiculed. But he did not defend himself. Although he is the Son of God, he did not lay claim to that power and right, but rather surrendered himself and was stripped naked and was crucified in a humiliating way upon a cross. And he went beyond what was required of him. He did not owe his life as a sacrifice to any of us, but he came to offer himself because he loves us. And so nevertheless, he poured out himself, his very life and blood. And as he was dying at the hands of evil, he did not demand eye for an eye. Instead, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, the purpose of the cross, yes, was for the forgiveness of sins. 
But there at the cross, God is also creating a new humanity, a new people. That all who would come to the cross and believe in Jesus can be remade and receive his spirit and be alive in him. We can only do what Jesus tells us to do in this passage if he lives in us. That's the whole point on the Sermon on the Mount. This is not just some nice principles to apply to your life and try to be a better person. You're not going to be able to do what Jesus says. It's too much to ask of a normal person. But should you place your trust in him, should you be filled with his spirit, this is a way of life that can and will be possible as you see that following Jesus means that he is alive in you and walking with you and enabling you to become the kind of person who does not resist evil when the opportunity calls for it. There will be times in your life where you can choose to withstand insults and ridicule. And you can do it because Jesus has withstood those things for you. And he's declared that you're a child of God, that you're a brother and you're a sister. And no ridicule or insult or shame can rob you of that identity. There will be times you can choose to release your rights. Because that's what Jesus did for us. Although he was God, he took on the form of a servant. And he humbled himself to the point of death. And in doing so, he made us heirs of the kingdom. No matter what rights we release here, we never lose our rights as inheritors of the kingdom of God. There will be times you can choose to bear the burden and go beyond what's required of you. Because Christ bore our burdens on the tree. And he enables us not to just love those who are easy to love, but to even love our enemies. Because even at our worst, Christ loved us. There can be times where you choose to give unreasonably. Because although he was rich, he became poor for our sake to make us rich. You can never outgive God's generosity in your life. And no matter what, because the opportunities to live out these passages aren't every day. They will come from time to time. No matter what, you can take that impulse in you. That when you're wrong, and you want your due and then some, you can bring that to the cross of Christ and find healing and actually become a person who has a greater love, a deeper love that doesn't move towards retaliation and vengeance, but moves toward the way of the cross. And that's what the passage is about next week. You see, this passage is not about the way of culture. It's not about the way of the world. It's not about the way of the self. You know, the slap and the cloak and the mile and the money, they all describe the way of the cross, a way of life that is only possible because Jesus has pioneered it for us and he fills us with his spirit. And so we can embrace the way of the kingdom only if we embrace the way of the cross. But the good news is you never have to try to do this on your own. You never have to get it right every time because Jesus is walking with you with grace upon grace.